Backed empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use Backed to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty, and rewards points and gift cards. Go to backedbakkt.com and start treating your digital assets just like cash. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And today we have a very special guest on the other side of the mic. I usually don't see setups as uh, professional as yours. Steven Stomberg, CEO of Bittrex Global, really brought the professional FM radio setup here for the show. Steven has a long resume. He worked at JP Morgan, Credit Suisse. Goldman Sachs and many other names. And he's now heading up Bittrex Global, the crypto exchange, which obviously is affiliated with Bittrex here in the US, which was founded back in 2014 and was really, you know, at the peak of the last cycle, um, one of the leading exchange venues. They've ceded some market share to others. But without further ado, Stephen, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. Really happy to uh, be joining you on The Scoop. Well, you're here on a very weird day, that's for sure. Um, before we maybe get into what Bittrex has been up to and, and your background, I mean, today we had another sort of, you know, my grandmother used to say, a lie can spread around the world in the amount of time that it takes the truth to lace up its boots. And we certainly saw that today with sort of this rumor that was kicked off by a erroneous press release about Walmart accepting Litecoin. When I first saw that, I was really surprised because down here in Florida, Walmart is a place you have to go to a lot because there's not just, there's not that many stores, you know, and they don't even accept Apple Pay or Google Pay. So I was... Right, and jumping to Litecoin is like yeah. quite, a, quite a jump. So <laughs> let's skip right over Apple Pay to, to Litecoin. Litecoin, haven't heard that name in years. So what do you, I mean, you've, you've sort of seen these different cycles play out, you know, how do you see this impacting crypto? Do you think regulators might get annoyed? You know, something like Walmart is probably like, what the hell's going on? You know, I mean, clearly that's like, it's total fake news. I mean, but it's market manipulation. And the, if you look at what, you know, in traditional markets, like that's considered market manipulation. So if someone did that and got caught and profited from that, I mean, you can you know, face some serious trouble with that. I mean, Elon Musk got in trouble just for manipulating his own stock based on some of his tweets. So I think crypto is still new and it's a bit the Wild West. And I think that's the kind of stuff that you, know, you don't see that in mature markets because people know better. You know, we don't know who did this. Clearly, they must have benefited from the pump and dump. So you know, there could have been, and it's harder for the regulator to perhaps stop or catch all of this because, you know, some of the industry is not regulated. And I think, you know, you mentioned Bittrex had, you know, we seeded some market share. And that was 
when a lot of the unregulated players started pouring in. So it's harder to compete on an unlevel playing field. So I think that's sort of leads right, you know, quite nicely into your intro. I think that you see Bittrex and there's other good regulated players, but while half the industry is still doing what it likes and not regulated, I'm not surprised you see things like this happening. Yeah, if they were going to sort of trade on this news on a platform like Bittrex, that would probably get picked up in a way that maybe wouldn't be the case. Although they're probably doing a lot of it maybe over the counter or something. But yeah, I don't know. You know, All we can do is really speculate. But I was speaking with someone and clearly like there's got to be some sort of operation behind this. And you know, they're buying in ahead of the upward move, maybe with extreme amount of leverage and then shorting maybe on the way down. I mean, you can make a lot of money. Again, so the downside risk to this trade is getting caught if it doesn't go well. I mean, obviously, you can also do your trade structuring wrong. There's lots of other, but the main risk is getting caught. In this case, whoever's doing it doesn't see a risk of getting caught, which is why you would do it. So again, this wouldn't exist in like regular securities markets because you'd get caught. There's a trail of like they can see who bought the stocks or whatever the instruments used to hedge. Because if it all goes through the system and it's regulated and there's KYC and AML, that's the whole point of that system. And the problem is right now, a lot of the crypto players, and I don't agree with it, and you know, I think the regulators are catching on, but until there's enforcement actions and that's removed, that's sort of the, it's a risk to the whole industry. This is more fuel to the regulatory fire, I think. Yes, absolutely. Adds another bow to the CFTC or the SEC's quiver. Um, you kind of alluded to how, like, I think, right, Bittrex began KYCing in 2018, 2017. 2017, yeah. which is when a lot of the, who shall remain nameless, but I think quite well <laughs> named in the press recently, unregulated player and players are coming under a lot of scrutiny. But you know, if they, you could get an account with an email address on some of these platforms. And now they say they want to comply with the regulators. But you know, if you've been doing, that's effectively money laundering. If you've been doing that for like a few years, it doesn't really matter that you want to be nice. Now you have like a five-year track record of money laundering. Like, it doesn't work. So I think you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the industry, and it's not just in the US, like globally, you know, our view at Bittrex and at Bittrex Global has been, we believe in the regulators, there are rules, just because the trade settles on a blockchain doesn't mean it's outside the rules. So you know, we've gone out of our way to try to comply and you know, money laundering is not allowed. So everyone's KYC'd and AML'd on the platform, regardless if they trade or not. And then obviously we, you know, we only trade utility tokens, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I, I can't speak to other competitors, but the whole industry is not operating on a level playing field. What about Bittrex's operations globally? Or is there sort of more leniency around some of those onboarding procedures to help compete? No, not at all. In fact, so I would say, so the main drive for us and why we separated Bittrex Global from Bittrex, so for step one, the whole thing, you know, is takes regulation very seriously. And remember, the, the gene code of the founders, there's three founders that still own the whole company, and they all came out of Microsoft and Amazon running security. So it's very security-driven, so we've never been hacked. And then on top of that, they did, you know, even though they're not financial services guys, they realized that you have to comply with financial services rules. And so let's, like, that's not even up for discussion. That's just the route we're going down. And I think that, that it's like really a two tiered industry. There's the ones that sort of do it like us or Coinbase or Kraken. And then there's the ones that just don't, who, you know, I don't need to read their names out, but they're pretty obvious. And then I think you, know, you, you start to look at that. And then the US, it's not that there's no rule. The rules are very unclear, right? You don't know who's regulating it. And you, you run a lot of just regulatory uncertainty. 
So even if you're doing the full KYC, you still then have the problems with, is it a security token? Is it a utility token? Are we going to get sued by the SEC? Or is it the CFTC? Because no one can figure out who's in charge. That's not how crypto operates everywhere on planet Earth. So in this little place called the EU, which is not that little, like they have a much more you know, centralized approach to regulation anyway. And then they've come down and they've had much clearer rules around what is a utility token and what is a security token. You can get a clean legal opinion on this. And so you know that you're not a security, you're not what's called e-money, which is like a financial instrument. You can get clean legal opinions that are enforceable in the whole EU. So we moved our non-US client base outside of the US because why would you want to subject non-US residents or non-US passport holders to a unclear set of rules? Again, we want regulation. We want clean and good regulation. But the AML and the KYC we're doing, we moved to Liechtenstein, which is um, an EEA member state. So they have full EU passporting. It's a AAA rated country. It's between Switzerland and Austria. It's an independent country. So, you know, the AML KYC standards, because they're EEA or EU, it's MIFID II, which is the EU standards for onboarding. But theirs are even stricter than the German onboarding standards. So, in fact, we have a pretty high bar for everyone to jump through. Not everyone can make it through our KYC AML. So we see like sort of, you know, the rate of people that start the process versus the finish. And there is some attrition, either it's self-selecting or it's just too complicated. So in our view is we only, you know, we'd love to do business with everyone, but only people we can legally do business with. And that's sort of our approach. But then once they're on the platform, we'd rather have them be subject to the EU rules around utility tokens. So we're able to list a lot more projects on Bitrix Global than might, we might list in Bitrix. So they're not, we have more teams listed. I've seen reports about you talking about the opportunity that exists in the Middle East region. Can you unpack some of that? Because that's something that I haven't really explored. I remember um, way back when, I forget exactly what the international crisis was, but we were kind of looking at the rate at which peer-to-peer -peer payments kind of spiked after this incident involving a Middle Eastern country. I can't remember for the life of me, but obviously this has been also a topic with, you know, post-Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, the degree to which Bitcoin cryptocurrency might become an important part of either folks on the ground or this new government, which is obviously a scary thing. But what about yeah. just like, you know, obviously the Middle East isn't a monolith. What's the opportunity you, you see there? Well, I think specifically those comments were in context. I mean, there's an upcoming some conferences in Dubai. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there's a lot of you know, progress. And if you look at Dubai and UAE in general, also Abu Dhabi, I think obviously those are kind of like the Singapore trading hub of the region you know, where it's very pro-business, very clear rules and regulations. They have good financial regulation to begin with. And they seem to have embraced crypto. So there's no reason why that couldn't be sort of like, they are already a trading hub for other traditional financial goods and services, why that can't be a safe haven hub for crypto as well and provide a regulatory safe haven. So I think those, that was the context of you know, those comments. I think it could be a regional place where you can do financial services business. You know, I think that a lot of these countries where you see high crypto adoption rates that maybe they don't have the stability that, say, Dubai does, but it's in the region and they understand it time zone-wise, language-wise, et cetera. Your other comment about Bitcoin and, and terrorism, that's anything can be used for that. But that goes back to KYC and AML. So right now they shouldn't have access to dollars or fiat currency because the banking system requires KYC and AML. So not everyone in crypto and crypto, if it is a form of money, you should have that. But again, it's that gray area where some platforms just haven't enforced it or they pay lip service to it. And you're right, they are facilitating 
But it's, it's not because it's crypto. It's because you you just aren't doing KYC and AML, and that's not allowed. So you know, we'll see how that ends up for some of these providers of these platforms. I don't think it will end well for them. And, you know, there's extradition, and a lot of governments don't take. That's like one of the worst criminal things you can do is money laundering. So I don't you know, think that will end well for them or their clients or users. And in the short run, though, it could open up opportunities for some of these organizations to, to move funds. You're right. The only good news is that with things tools like Chainalysis, you can trace these wallets and see where the funds are going, unlike with dollars. Yeah. So it seems like you guys had taken a global approach to a degree, right? This sort of regulatory approach you took in 2017, you know, you saw the writing on the wall, you know, it's at the same time that others kind of retreated from the U.S. completely versus trying to configure an offering that complied. But what sort of, um, you know, next steps, things that you're excited about to, to grow the business and what type of new products are you maybe looking at? There's a lot of talk about lending. We can talk about that as well, right? We've, we've seen a regulatory crackdown on that, but but maybe just start more broad and then we can zero in. Okay, so that's in the US. So outside of the US, we have just started doing a little bit of staking. We're also doing lending also in a test kind of on institutional clients only, not to retail right now. So I think the nice thing is in, in Europe as well, crypto is not considered e-money or money. So it doesn't fall under lending rules. Like that's black and white. So you don't have, again, what we talked about before, the situation with the SEC coming out and telling Coinbase all of a sudden that there's an issue with their lending business, they don't have jurisdiction outside of the US and we don't have any US nexus. So Bittrex in the US is totally separate from Bittrex Global. Mm -hmm. We bifurcated. I mean, it's two separate businesses, separate servers, really separate everything. So I can't speak to competitors. I can't speak to what they're doing in the US. I can say that those are two areas which we're looking at, I think. But like with most of these things, we like to walk before we run. So we test it out, make sure that we get the kinks out. You know, it has to be completely clear from a regulatory standpoint. We could do the activity. We won't even do it otherwise. And then we can scale. So I think those are areas that are, you know, I would call me too. We're not the first, but we'd like to get more active. I think, you know, for me, what excites me most in terms of new products is the whole idea of security tokens. So we've dipped our toe in that. We have, uh, that's why we have this Bermuda license, because under the Bermuda Digital Assets Business Act, you, they don't distinguish between a token and a security token, a utility and a security. A token is just a token. So we can trade those there. So again, we've launched a limited number of what I would call unsolicited ETFs, like Google, tokenized Google, tokenized Tesla. And we're only selling that to a subset of our clients. So we're not selling it in the EU because you need a brokerage license to do that. You know, it's sort of, I would say, test phase. But longer term, I really think that you're going to see everything being tokenized. You know, why should we not have tokenized real estate? Tokenized. If you're IPOing a company, why does it have to be an IPO? Why can't it be in the venture stage? Why can't you issue a token and just crowdfund effectively through a tradable 24-7 token? I mean, it's going to really upend the way that we do things and it's going to be very disruptive. And it will take time because I think the, the barrier is the regulatory, right? Because you do, it's even more regulated if you're trading a security. It's regulated like a security. So... I think longer term, I'm super bullish about that, super excited, but I'm realistic in that it's, you know, we're not going to just create this overnight. It's going to take time. So why do you think it's been so sort of slow to get off the ground security tokens? You know, there have been a number of, I remember covering firms like here in the US, there was a startup that wanted to tokenize like college, this college dorm, and that didn't really 
take off. And I feel like I haven't heard about tokenized real estate in ages. Why do you need tokenized real estate if you can just buy Solana and it's up 7,000%? So I think the problem is you know, there's such money to be made in the utility token phase. There's no regulatory uncertainty. And that you know, the, the returns are so high. Why would you want to have this illiquid security token? There's no liquidity in this stuff right now. That's, that's the problem. It's too new. So I think, you know, again, over time, I would expect the as utility tokens become a more mature market, you won't see those types of returns. And then it will drive, like the, again, the profit motivation will drive everyone in there. And also, as you can see, you know, the banks went from calling Bitcoin rat poison and now they all have trading desks. So again, they're dipping their toe in, but you know, once they decide to all get on board, these things take time. It's like the analogy I make is like turning the wheel of a super tanker. It doesn't react right away, but I think you'll start to see some of these things. I personally think real estate is the one that will probably happen first. And, and I think that just there's so much inefficiency in that industry to begin with, that just by putting the assets on the blockchain and then be able to create liquidity around them globally, that really changes that industry. Mm. And it can kind of give access to folks who you know are nowhere near Manhattan real estate, maybe they're based in India, the opportunity to exactly. buy in on that. Right, because even if you IPO, you can securitize real estate, but it's in a pool. And that pool is typically only going to be sold to U.S. investors. So, you know, why not just have like a building could be tokenized and sold globally overnight? You can have retail. I mean, it's fascinating. So conceptually, it's there. I think until you get the liquidity and you know, people have to figure out. So even like us, we figured out how to trade the stuff. But to sell it, we would have to have a bank license in Europe. But we don't have that. So, you know, we don't we could borrow someone's, but we'd have to turn over all of our customers to them to market. So I think you know, these things you don't you, know, you can you kind of take a few steps get used to it, make sure you're not violating things. You know, you don't, it takes time to incrementally build these things. And the, the regulations are so new. Again, they haven't even figured out utility tokens, let alone a security token. So I, I think you have to position yourself in the next two to three years, this will happen. And you want to be in the right place to do it. But no one's really figured it out right now. Back is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto, loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Sign up at backbakkt.com. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. I also want to give a special thanks to Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. Maybe the best part is Exodus is integrated with the Trezor hardware wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at Exodus.com today. So as you guys, you know, try to build out 
this vision of the future for Bittrex, we're seeing a lot of companies raise these, you know, consecutive rounds one after the other. Others have tapped the public markets. Is there a path for Bittrex Global to to raise, to to get more capital or go public somewhere internationally or here in the States? Well, so I mean, Bittrex Global is owned by the same three founders that own Bittrex. So it's all like one giant holding company. And I think that that's really, I'm sure the founders are looking at the opportunities and you know that's up to them. I mean, it's a privately held company with three owners. So I'm sure they're aware of the valuations and I'm sure they're looking at this, but if I were privy to it, I couldn't comment, obviously. It's pretty wild though. If you look at some of these, there's a lot of froth in the private markets for crypto. It's it, there is, and it's it's interesting. You start to see like a lot of hedge fund guys and people getting into it and just doing. They're kind of like I call them buying lottery tickets. They're just like throwing money at a lot of different things, and I, I'm sure they're prepared. They could lose their whole mm-hmm. investment on each one, but they're just kind of doing a scattergun approach, hoping that you know they'll hit a windfall on like one or two of them, which is really how I think the space will pan out. I mean, who you know, two three years ago, if I told you where we would be now, you might not believe me. Let alone six years ago. So. It's such an uncharted space. And obviously, then COVID's completely changed the rate and the, the pace of adoption and the way this is also looked. Totally. And yeah, I mean, and the names look completely different too. Like, you know, you were at Brevin Howard there, you know, two years ago, weren't a huge player now, you know. You know it's not just him, it's Paul Tudor Jones. You know, again, I'm just reading to you what I read in the press. It said Alan and Paul Tudor both invested in the latest FTX funding round. So again, no, I'm sure they're just casting a wide net and they're doing a diversified portfolio, which is what you do if you run. These are smart guys. They know how to invest, but they clearly see, you know, they moved before the banks did, yeah. right? They were definitely two and three years getting, dipping their toe. And now I would say they're way, you know, pretty savvy on the space and they'll figure it out quickly. And I think that's what's going to happen. Like, I think crypto, the biggest use case for blockchain is crypto. Crypto, and again, I'm an old finance guy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's financial services. You have a lot of technology people in it, which is why they don't think they have to do KYC and AML. I'm like, anyone who's been in financial services knows that's like a one-way ticket to jail. If you don't, you know, so they don't get it or they do and they just don't think they'll get caught. But I think as you start to see more and more sophisticated players coming in who understand that this is a financial services play, they know way more about financial services. They'll figure out the blockchain and the things they don't know. And I think that's going to be, you know, again, I see convergence in the space. So going back to your last question, you know, since you mentioned like someone like Alan, you know, I've always seen the convergence that was going to happen. And my personal strategic bet for the company was that these institutional players, like who want to start onboarding, will only be able to take the counterparty risk of a regulated platform in a country like Liechtenstein, which is AAA rated. You know, a lot of them can't even take Malta country risk. Forget crypto, like they just can't mm-hmm. trade with Malta. So I think not every, or the Seychelles or some of these countries, you know, so you won't be able to onboard a lot of these. Or if you're an exchange that says they're nowhere and no jurisdiction, that doesn't work for most compliance departments. They kind of want to see, they're pretty boring and old fashioned. So, you know, square peg, square hole, that's been art. So we might have seeded short-term market share, but market share that we wouldn't be able to have if it's, you know, clients who can't be KYC'd or instruments that one can't sell. Like we don't think that's real market share. That's just stuff that shouldn't be happening. Mm. So when will the moment of reckoning come? Well, I think for BitMEX, it already happened. And we know how that ended for them. You know, $100 million of fines. And I think they're still going to prison for the criminal stuff. So there's lots of noise from regulators and the news from some of the other much bigger, much more egregious players. So, you know, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but I think already off that, 
as you see, again, institutions who come in who care about this stuff, you know, some of the retail guys don't know any better. They're new to, to investing, let alone crypto. But institutional players don't like that kind of noise. And we're already seeing a lot of them coming to us and saying, hey, we need to move some of our business off. So I think you're already going to see some of the higher quality volume leaving some of those platforms. And then we'll see how it plays out. I Personally, I, I don't think it's, a, it's if, it's just when they, they start to get shut down. Well, since we can't sort of look into the future, or at least um, can't look into the future as well as we can look into the past, maybe we can look there. Um, you have quite the the background in investing in asset management, Goldman Sachs and Credit Suisse. Tell me a little bit about you know how you see adoption playing out in those corners of the market. I mean, I think it's very slow. So I think if to the extent you have true institutional money, like pension plans or smart guys like Alan that are investing. They kind of get it and they're making allocations, but it's still going to be relatively small allocations. Maybe they'll do like 1% of their fund, which is still a lot of money. If you have like a multi-billion fund, that's like $100 million. But that's not really, you know, in terms of crypto, that's kind of small. Mm. So, but, you know, again, when they start to dial up those allocations, so remember, we went from zero to something. So all of a sudden you're in portfolios and that can only grow. So I think it's going to be like the pebbles come out of the dam and it's going to be you'll see, start to see an institutional wall of money. And they're only doing Bitcoin for now. So if you read the fine print, like JP Morgan's offering their clients crypto. No, their clients can buy the Grayscale fund, pay the Grayscale fee, pay the JP Morgan markup on the Bitcoin. So they're getting a lot of fees to do something they could frankly do themselves for a lot cheaper at Coinbase. But for some of their clients, you know, again, that's really, it's better than nothing. And it's clearly a first start and they're allowing it on the platform. You know, again, it's like one step forward to the point where those clients could just, you know, have that in their portfolio, like Apple stock or IBM or anything else that they're trading, and they can leverage and start to really use it in their portfolio. So, I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see how this develops. So, I think it's positive, but I think like we're literally at like day zero or day one. I mean, there's so much more growth perspective here. If you were back at one of these banks, you know. Deutsche, JP Morgan. I mean, Stephen, is there a bank that you haven't worked at? Well, you know, this is bad news for like Bamel. They're not on your resume. So I guess they're... I did. I worked at Merrill Lynch. That was oh, my first job. Right. So that I guess technically that's through mergers, good. eventually you've worked everywhere, even if they weren't merged at the time. That's true. I, I only worked there briefly. You know what? I did... I did technically Solomon Brothers too, because JP Morgan... Exactly. Or I was at Deutsche. They bought Bankers Trust. So I guess I technically worked there too. Um, you know, I did like sort of five-year stints at all these banks, which it was... I was in sales and trading. Even back in the day, that was considered... You know, I, I pretty much didn't like just hop around. I mean, now, I mean, in crypto and also this generation, it seems like if you work in a place for three months, that's like quite a lot. It's like five years in the old days. So now I'm also old, so I, I've been around. You're, you're dating me. But um, you know, I started my career in the late 80s at, on Wall Street. So I kind of have seen a lot of these cycles as well. But, you know, I think that, you know, with the crypto, the banks kind of, they don't want this because they don't want to deal with this. They like having their cake and eating it and charging their high fees. It's not just crypto. I mean, blockchain is a complete competitive threat for the financial services industry. Hence, not surprising they called it rat poison and fought as long as they could. And now that they know they can't stop it, their hand has been forced because so many client assets have left and gone to places like Coinbase. So at least if they can't beat them, they'll join them. And then slowly they'll figure it out. I mean, it's unclear to me who will win this game in blockchain. Is it going to be the crypto players or will it be the traditional banks? I think you'll see a bit of both. So it's you know I think the the landscape in financial services is going to look very different in five years than it does now, and I think you'll see a lot of different names. 
I call this like the Amazon moment for financial services. Well, they're kind of to a degree, they have their hands tied by regulatory limitations. I mean, I was going to write about this company's seed round and City. This will come out after the news has gone out. So I'm going to say it. City was going to, is leading. And I asked a very simple question. I just asked, why are you leading? How does it fit into your, your, your strategy? And is this your first crypto investment? The third question being the sort of most, I mean, trivial, like, like, how can you not answer that? But I got a no comment from the bank. And it's just like, if you're not going to engage with the community, if you're not going to engage with the folks that are like living and breathing this stuff, then I just don't see how you can be competitive. You can't. That's the whole thing. The banks, like it's recency bias. They're totally arrogant. You know, I love, you know, I do my podcast and I'm always making fun, you know, I stopped doing it, but the banks, it's too easy. Like literally in one week, one department of Goldman Sachs was praising crypto and literally the other department, their asset management, like head of investment said, it's like rat poison and horrible for their clients. Okay. So it's okay for their shareholders on the other side for the trading operation, Mm -hmm. but our high net worth clients shouldn't touch. I mean, it's like, seriously, can you guys like coordinate a view? I mean, you can't, you know, and it's not just, yeah, that's, that's pretty awful. And I think all the banks are like this. They just, you know, I think they don't want this to work and like, they don't get it. The trains left the station five years ago and like, it's not, you know, crypto is just one application. It's blockchain. It's the settlement system. You have banks run a very inefficient settlement system. It goes by currency, by if it's shares, by country, it operates nine to five, Monday to Friday, no bank holidays. I mean, this stuff's been held together with spit and glue since like bread and woods. It doesn't really work well. They have no incentive to fix it because they make a lot of money. So all of a sudden you have this parallel 24-7 system that works a lot better. And then why do you need a bank? I mean, you can have a crypto company, which is a bank. I mean, effectively, you're moving at the assuming you have to follow the rules like the rules still apply, like money laundering still not allowed. But why does a traditional financial institution have to be the one facilitating these payments? I mean, it takes them three days to wire U.S. dollars from Europe to the U.S. Come on, it's 2021. Seriously? No, that's just because you like this old system where you can make a lot of money out of it. So, you know, whereas crypto moves instantaneously. So I think that it's a huge competitive threat to them. So they will, and again, they think it's still going to go away. I, my other favorite analogy, if you're old enough, it's like Barnes & Noble in the 90s. Like, oh, there's Amazon. Let's have Starbucks. People will still come to the bookstore. <laughs> like, no, that's just a Band-Aid. It's not going to work, right? It might be okay for a few years, but then you're just going to go out of business one day. I think that's kind of the path. I look at their investment in like whatever you're talking, that's like their Starbucks. Like, mm, we'll just kind of do what we need to do. It's like shifting deck chairs in the Titanic. It's not really helping. Yeah. So that, that raises the question of then, you know, where does DeFi fit into all of this? You know, we kind of have this alternative system operating adjacent to... So you have crypto and blockchain. And within that, you have centralized, which is what Bittrex and, and a lot of players do. And then you have you know, decentralized, but you know, decentralized is peer-to-peer. And we have peer-to-peer in fintech. There's peer-to-peer lending platforms. There's peer-to-peer things in like the old world that's non-crypto. So... I don't think that's anything new. I think the challenge for DeFi, which I think is great, there's some amazing projects. I mean, by definition, things that are you know not centralized can sometimes be more efficient, but you can't get around. Like, how do you still deal with KYC and AML? And whoever's facilitating bringing together these counterparties is ultimately going to be held accountable if there is no KYC, like because there is a burden still. So I think 
that's going to be the challenge for a, the regulators. They can't even like regulate the CFI stuff, let alone figuring out DeFi, which is moving so fast. But that, like long term, that will be the challenge for them and for the industry, and, and they'll figure it out just like they did in peer to peer lending in the real world on some of these platforms. It works, but they have to still comply with the rules. Yeah. To what degree does complying with the rules take away that which makes it interesting to use these platforms? I do, so again, like I'm like putting one's political view. You know, everyone hates regulators. I mean, that's just like defi- no one's going to come and say, "I love being regulated." Like, mm-hmm. no, it, it's sort of. But I think it's it is what it is. Like it's there, and you you cross it at your own peril. So I don't. I sort of just accept that it's there. I can't control it. I, my opinion on it's irrelevant. Like here are the rules. Do you want to go to jail or not? Like do you wish to follow them? So I think yes, this thing that doesn't follow the rules might go really fast, but. And then if they did follow the rules or they get caught, ooh, it might stuck and slow down. But that's how the world works. So you kind of take three steps forward, a step, two steps back. I mean, whenever you have innovation, it always moves faster than the regulators. It forces them to catch up. Then sometimes they overreact, and then there's always an equilibrium. Like the pendulum always swings far, too far one way, too far the other, and then it kind of settles in the right place. So you know, I don't think that mankind is that efficient and linear. And I it just I think that's what we'll see in this this use case as well. Right now, we're in the fun build phase where the regulators haven't caught on yet. So when you look, you know, try to get that crystal ball back in front of you, but if you think about some of the trends that are going to shape the next six months, it seems like regulation is going to play a key part. But is there anything else that you're sort of eyeing? Well, I think that regulation, it, it does play a key part. So the question is, again, have you opted into it or not? So I think we're going to see the non-regulated players, that's going to, that's just not going to exist. Like the downside risk of doing that will become very expensive. So then people won't be able to do that anymore. Once there's enforcement and the regulators are clearly catching on, as you're seeing all of this clearly coordinated, it's not a coincidence that every regulator comes out against one institution within like a two-week period. They obviously all are speaking to each other and that's coordinated. So I think you're going to start to see more of this regulatory news tightening and you're not going to be able to, which again, I I would argue you shouldn't be able to operate that way. Because ultimately, those rules, while not perfect, they're designed to keep terrorists and people you don't want having access to the financial system. And I would include crypto in that as a form of moving assets around. Like, it's designed to stop that. And again, not always very elegantly, but it's just what it's trying to stop is worse than maybe the means in which they try to do it. So I think that's kind of one trend you're going to see. And then I think you're going to see way more things going onto the blockchain. Like, right now, the only real use case for blockchain is cryptocurrencies. So it's a new digital asset. Same thing with NFTs, digital art. But what about real art? Why can't that be put into an NFT or real estate? Into, you know, I think, again, we've just scratched the surface of what this can do. And then imagine when you have all these really interesting asset classes trading 24-7 globally and also in tiny notionals for retail, that doesn't exist in the mm-hmm. current world of investing. So it's an access, you know, you're going to start to see financial inclusion, more diversification of portfolios. And I think it's going to be really helpful. So you're going to start to take this last holdout industry that's very inefficient by design and making it globalized and more efficient. And we've seen, I think, great benefits to people from how that's touched retail. And like, we all don't have to leave our house and anything you want just shows up. 20 years ago, that was on how we went shopping. Like, it was a pain in the butt to find stuff. And you had to like drive to 10 stores, price comparison. I mean, literally, totally. we take it for granted how efficient our lives are now. And I imagine if financial services could be like that. It's not like that right now. Yeah, I, I definitely. Um, and then the pandemic has kind of illuminated that to a degree, just 
many folks, you know, maybe sub 50 have kind of come into that more digital world. But, you know, for those who were maybe staying in the analog world, they, they kind of been ushered in by this, this COVID reality. Stephen, this was a lot of fun. Likewise. It was always great talking to you guys. I appreciate you for coming on the show and stopping by. Where can our listeners learn more about what you're doing and what's going on at Bittrex Global and its affiliates? Well, they can go to global.bitrex.com, B-I-T-T-R-X.com, but global.bitrex.com for... You should do our ad reads. You have a much better... Uh, we host our own podcast where I have to... So you have to do all it. This stuff so, yeah. so I've had a lot of practice, which is why I have this very fancy microphone. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. But uh, no, so that's, that's where you can go. And obviously, we have social channels. You can follow us on Twitter and on LinkedIn as well. But you know, it's great to be here. And like again, I think... Lots to do in the crypto space. I would advise your listeners to stay with the regulated providers. Though. Yeah, we don't want to. We don't want to tell them to do anything illegal. That's for sure. Exactly. Or they may, Or you know. Again, I think don't assume your money or your crypto assets are safe on some of these platforms. I think you know, they do a disservice to their clients and their employees. Listen, the safest place for those assets. Just send them to me. I will take. Send them, them to you. Exactly. I'll Why don't you give people one? your wallet address? Exactly. <laughs> Linked at the bottom of the episode. All right, Stephen, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have a great day, everybody.